So let's set the scene, because we pick right up where we left off last week. In fact, I read 51 and 51, verse 51 this and last week to, to tie these two stories together that we've heard. And this is a conversation, as we've mentioned, of Jesus talking about himself as the bread that came down from heaven and why it's significant. And now the blood of heaven and how that gives life eternal. But the, the reality is, the more he speaks, the more things escalate. Last week, if they were grumbling, this week we now read that they started to dispute among themselves. Well, saying they dispute among themselves probably does not go far enough to describe the scene. Mekome is the Greek word here. And its definition clearly suggests to us that these folks are not just arguing. It seems as though they're on the cusp of violence towards Jesus, perhaps towards one another. The NIV says they argued sharply. The King James says they, they strove together. Eugene Peterson says they started fighting among themselves. And I, I love the plain spoken truth of that. These folks are fighting now. To be honest, I prefer another story today. I want a story of Jesus with a group of people, of course, but with those group of people on that Galilean hillside, having the conversation with those who are eager to hear and eager to learn and and wanting to hear what he has to say, children running around making noise and those kind of things. That's the scene I want. That's the church I want to be in. But I get this today. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd that's full of vitriol and anger because they don't like his message. I don't know about you, but I've seen enough of that. It seems in life, in these days, perhaps more than others. One of the ways I like to read scripture is to put myself into the story and imagine myself as one of the characters there as it's read. I think it gives us a good way to consider what people are thinking and experiencing if you hear it from their perspective. So I imagine myself as a pilgrim in Jerusalem, someone who is there for the Passover, and and I notice off to the side of this group of people talking about something that seems to be important, and, and so I make my way over to see what's unfolding here. And I begin to realize the closer I get, this scene is, well, it's, it's not very pretty. It's, it seems to be getting ugly. I'm not really sure if I look on what people are angry about, but there's this man who seems to be in the center of it all. And he seems to be standing above the fray and calm in my eyes and people are pointing at him and others are over here talking to the side about him and he just hangs in the middle and, and he's speaking some really weird stuff to me. He's talking about being flesh and blood and, and from heaven and that sounds like something I've not heard before. So my gut reaction as I draw closer to this is, well, I kind of want to walk away. Kind of just don't want to get caught up in the fray of this story. I want to hear more, though, and I can't walk away. It's worth noting that in John's gospel, it almost all is about the passion of Jesus. And we're, we're headed towards the cross, and this seems to be a foreshadowing of what is to come. And I am talking about the cross. Jesus is speaking in metaphors, but he's also speaking a plain truth. Truly, I tell you, he says about who he is and the depth of his willingness to give of himself on our behalf. 
And this whole scenario, though, with that message in mind, I'm giving you all of me if you'll receive it. What's making otherwise good religious folks so angry about that message? Why is it hard to understand the human, the divine, and the sacrificial nature of what Jesus is saying here? My best answer so far, yours may be different, is maybe it's the sacrifice that it asks of us. Maybe it's because we don't like to give up things we don't want to give up. We seem to find it easy to accept that Jesus' sacrifice and love for us is there. But maybe we find it harder to see that the rest of his life is meant to teach us that we too must give of ourselves to that depth. This is, after all, again, what he taught us. We have four gospels. We have a stack of epistles. And as far as I can see, when I read them all, they seem to point and try to convey this one truth of what it means to love God and self and neighbor and all the complexities of that. Jesus' life was not only about loving and sacrificing for friends either. Jesus said, you're going to have to do that for folks. Well, you don't love so easily. Your enemies even. His whole life was about forgiving people and healing people. He was about accepting folks the world did not want to accept. He, he told how hard it was for us to understand who he is because we have everything. So he said, learn from the poor, learn from the children, the vulnerable. They can teach you about the kingdom. And I suppose then if, I, if we look at our world these days, if we look within ourselves, we know exactly why Jesus and the gospels are hard to grasp at times. Loving enemies, caring for the vulnerable, welcoming the outcast. Loving those the world doesn't want us to love, that is not easy work. It's hard work. It's difficult. Always is. Always will be. And to accomplish this, we need Christ. We need an abiding presence with Christ. I like to take short walks from the office, and the last few weeks has been pretty hot doing so. And I love to walk up to the square. It's a beautiful square. I love to go take 10 minutes just to walk around. And last week I got sprayed by the water sprinklers, I just recall which was kind of nice on that day. My pants were dry by the time I got back to the office, actually. It was so hot. And I've done that I don't know how many times over the last year, and I've gone past the Rotary Club clock. But this week I happened to be looking down, and I saw for the first time what's at the base of that. It says the four-way test. And there's four things that are meant to be tests for us in the decisions that we make. One, is it truth? Number two, is it fair to all concerned? Number three, will it build goodwill and better friendships? And number four, will it be beneficial to all concerned? Aren't those some great questions? I need to have those written in the palm of my, my, my hand sometimes, I feel, so I can look at those as I'm making decisions, as we make decisions. What about this? Does, this? does it meet these criteria here? We would learn to abide together. But, but you know we're surrounded by all kinds of good wisdom, aren't we, in this life? Even on the basis of clocks in the world, there's wisdom all around us, in this room even. Someone once said that if giving advice worked, we wouldn't need therapists or counselors or, or pastors or mentors. 
We have surrounding us at all times the wisdom of people who are none of these things, but who can give us solid, good advice and wisdom when, we, when we're in a pickle or, or when we've made a mistake or when we're not sure what to do next. We have access to wonderful self-help and, and leadership books. We memorize wise sayings all the time. We, we have our scriptures. But sometimes we do things our own way anyway with all this wisdom around us. Why is this? I wonder if it's not because doing the right thing, doing those four things, are the hardest things. To do and to live as Christ has called us to do and to live is often hard. And if I'm honest with you, my prayer some days ought to sound like Jesus helped me to love as you do and do as you do. But if I'm really honest with you, many times my prayers are, Jesus, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I don't want to do that, Jesus. Maybe. Maybe the reason Jesus could stand in the midst of that crowd is because he saw in front of him the faces of those who felt like it was too much. A friend of mine asked his, was asked by his child if he'd send him his last sermon. That's not very often a preacher's kid asks, Dad, can I see your last sermon? Haley, by the way, I ask for my sermon sometimes to read it. But he, his son asked him for a sermon, and Dad thought, well, why is he doing that? He said, well, I've got a class project, and we're role-playing, and I'm going to be you. So full of pride, he, he sent him his, his sermon to read. He didn't know exactly what he was going to do with it, but there you have it. And he said, the opening line of my sermon said this, I recently had the chance to participate in a panel, a discussion with four persons who had been previously incarcerated, one, two for drugs, one for robbery, and one for murder. <laughs> that was the opening line of his sermon. Now, evidently, the school software filters key words or, or points out things that might be dangerous for kids to read. So as he downloaded it, he got back the restriction that, no, I can't download this. So from the back of the house, his son says, Daddy, golly, Roblox, which I think is the name of the software, it, it censures me. It won't let me download this. Don't you have a more fluffy sermon? <laughs> we want fluffy sometimes. The crowds in front of Jesus had been there for the Passover. They and their ancestors had lived their whole life waiting for the Messiah. And he's right there in front of them. And they couldn't grasp it. Maybe he didn't fit their idea of what the Messiah would be. Maybe his teachings were just too hard to accept. I said earlier, I imagine myself walking onto the scene hearing all this anger and vitriol and wanting to turn around and go the other direction. But I couldn't. Before I could let myself walk away, there was something about Jesus that pulled me back. And what pulled me back, I think, is the way for which Jesus responded to the moment. His approach was not like we would expect from someone facing a similar crowd today. In the face of this crowd, he simply said, and I paraphrase a little bit, I'm simply telling the truth. This is who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm giving you of myself if you'll receive it. It's simply the truth. 
Later on, we know that Jesus will face a cross. And we know from that cross he will forgive those who put him there because they did not yet understand. Who is this person who in the midst of this can stand with so much grace? I don't know, but I want some of that for myself. On our own, though, we cannot. And this is why Jesus said, you must partake of me, flesh and blood. You must abide in me so that I can abide in you. And this word abide for us is significant. To abide is not just to be with Jesus. It's to sojourn. It's to rest with Jesus. It's to be present with him in a perfect peace. But it's to be with him in a perfect peace in the midst of the storms that we face. It's to know peace. It's to know that better days will come even after you waited a really long time for it. You still have hope that it's coming and you have peace in that. I need this for me. Perhaps you do too. Every one of these verses point towards this abiding truth. And this abiding life is not of this world. It is otherworldly. It's different. But Christ is as real as the bread and cup you see here on Communion Sundays. And Jesus is why you and I too can face moments that might otherwise crush us. In Christ is the actualization, it's the realization of peace without any need of fear or hate or doing harm to the other. Anger leads only to death and destruction, but not in some future. To be angry and to hold to those things today is like walking around without living. It's easy to grow weary or angry with people in the world these days, but if we do the hard work required, as Jesus would tell us, I think, we can know peace. Now, by and large, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Over the last 13 months, we have done some very, very challenging things, hard decisions, good decisions, maybe bad decisions, but they're all faithful. I'm preaching to people today who have made your way to church with masks and unmasked, online, in person, and it's tiring. Your staff can be tired because we've been called to call people together and we've been told to do so, it's dangerous. It comes with concerns, we're trying. They're trying. Pray for them. Let them know you appreciate them. There have been times this year that God feels distant. But that is not a lack of faith. I am talking about the pandemic. But I'm talking about the other things in life that want to weigh us down. So that I have only one humble piece of advice today. Abide in Christ. Keep showing up in all situations, but with the grace that you have shown already. Christ has shown us how to do the hard things. Keep asking for and expecting peace and better days to come, even when the world tells us that's foolish to think so. The peace we long for is coming. It will come. Keep doing the hard things. Follow sound wisdom. Listen to those who know what you need to do in a pandemic. Listen to those who know what you need to do as a parent or as a preacher. Listen to those who know. 
As one person said, life is easy. Living's hard. <laughs> a few years ago, my family, we were at a swimming pool. And we were at the Jewish Community Center. And I say that because they were simply, it seems as though they're having a summer camp with their children. And as we're swimming, it's full of kids. And this one kid swims up to me. And I'm, I've got my back against the wall. And a little blonde-headed boy raises straight up out of the water about this far from me, not at all social distancing. He had his goggles on, and they were too small, and I say they're too small because his nose was, was smashed all the way over to the side. And he had a snorkel in, and he spit the snorkel out, and, and there's this long string of spit <laughs> hanging there. And he's it's swinging, and all I can think is, dude, you need to back off. I don't know what you're doing, but please... But without introducing himself, he goes, did you know God is in you? God is in me. God is in everyone. And God is everywhere. And he had this very awkward, errant pose going on, looking around. And, and finally come back and he looked at me. He put his snorkel back in, spit and all. Lowered back down on the water. Swam off. I looked at Kim and she looked at me and we're like, okay. But I never forget him. I, I'm guessing they had the Bible lesson that day of how God is everywhere. And he took it seriously. He was just amazed by that. But he reminded me of ourselves, metaphorically and literally. We are all, every one of us, a bit messy. We can be messed up at times. We can mess up at times. We can be scary. We can be rough around the edges. We can get it wrong. We can get it right. We can think we know all there is to know about God. But we have so much still to learn about life and God. But sometimes, and somehow, we see that God thinks we're remarkable. We are precious. We are gifted. And we each have so much to offer. So the invitation today is to abide in Christ. Find the peace and the knowledge that you do abide in Christ. We are given life here and now. And God is in every one of us. May we live so as though we believe it. May we accept that it's true. Thanks be to God. Amen.